Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. As a fisherman, we always start out a story like, this actually happened, or this is a true story. And, and I've gone for several years, and, and some of you are probably tired of me talking about this. I, I go to Canada fishing every now and then, so I take pictures to prove that it actually does happen. It's the biggest fish I ever caught in my life. And, and as you can see, there's like hardly anybody fishes on this lake. I mean, you're out there by yourself on the lake. So if you accidentally do something, um, you're, you're on your own in a sense. Um, satellite phone only works for a few hours every day. Um, but as I started thinking about Jonah, it always takes my mind to the story one time when I was in Canada, and this actually happened. And all week I'd been fishing with my father and, my, uh, and his boat, and my uncle and my dad's been going for years. And this one particular day we switched up, and I was out of his boat. Well, my father's a rather large guy, and so was the other gentleman in the boat. And they actually happened to lean the same way at the same time in the boat. And they flipped it out of the boat, and he's swimming around in 58-degree water, which was a lot of fun, so we got to rescue him. But my mind automatically goes there. And and other stories that that I think of when I think of of fish and and Jonah and other things, once we were in Africa, and uh, we brought a cook with us uh, on a mission trip to Angola, Africa, because about 70% of the city doesn't have clean water. So it's, you know, you, you go there, you want to serve, you want to help the ministries that are there, and you don't want to get sick while you're there. So we, we had a, a professional chef that uh, was going with us on the trip, so we said, you're in charge of food. So he calls us up. We're, we're off doing something. He went to go help cook lunch, and he goes, he calls our leader, and he goes, Evan, what do I do? And Evan's like, what are you talking? He goes, it's the biggest fish I've ever seen. And I've never cooked one this big. And it was frozen. So, and we were eating in like in an hour. So, I mean, it was very interesting. But uh, just some of the, the, you know, quirky fish stories that I have. And, and uh, it brings back memories, great memories. But we're, we're really going to dive into this book. Had to go there. But before we go to Jonah, we're actually going to go to Luke 11. Uh, so let's jump right in. As the crowds increased, Jesus said... This is a wicked generation. Now, this kind of struck me at the very beginning because uh, Jesus tends to say things more like Bob and I tend to say things, and not that I'm trying to compare myself to Christ, but he just says it. You know, usually, you know, when the crowds increase, we always go, good job, everyone. You know, we pump everybody up. But but what is happening here, he he basically says, you guys are a bunch of wicked people. And, and what is happening here is they keep pushing him for a sign. You say you're God. You've shown yourself to be God. You've shown yourself to have this power over, over the earth and, and, and over man and all this stuff. But, but we want a sign. So he basically says, hey, you're, you're wicked. You're, you're pushing me here. Uh, and they say, I don't care how you live or what you say. Prove it to me. It goes on. It says, it asks, it asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. And it goes on in verse 32. The men of Nineveh will stand up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
And now one, uh, one greater than Jonah is here. And he goes on to say, and he adds in, in Matthew, Matthew 12, 40, he goes on and says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, as I've studied this book over the years, and I've had fun teaching it to, to different uh, age groups, it's, it's a fascinating look at how Jonah is, is being really a type of Christ. Sometimes you'll hear that term, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. And really what it means is just like, you know, Christ is being foreshadowed. The, the coming of Christ and what was going to happen to Christ is being foreshadowed by different, uh, different men in the Old Testament. And Jonah is one of those. Uh, Jonah is one of those books that unbelievers love to just jump on. And, and, you know, that's just a fish story, and we know how fish stories are. They just love this book for that reason. Surely you don't believe a disobedient man was thrown out of a boat. And a huge fish showed up to consume him, and the fish didn't chew him up. The fish just swallowed him. And surely you don't believe he could live for three days in this fish. Surely... You don't believe this. No way this is fact. And then, then they usually go on to creation. Surely you don't believe that God created the world out of nothing. I mean, this is a nice, nice myth, but, but come on, this is 2010. I mean, we understand a lot more now than, than back then. We're, we're more reasonable than that. We believe in evolution. Because that is such a rational belief in itself, Right? So as we study the book of Jonah, I want to make it very clear. I believe this book is, is historical fact. Call me naive if you want. But I think as a believer, it's my only choice. If I say that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died and rose again and he's my Savior, that I go to heaven because I believe that he is God himself then I have no choice but to believe that this story is true. Next week, we're going to talk about the physical aspect. Because I don't want to leave that out. I mean, there's some stories in the 1800s in newspapers about an incident that it really happened. We'll talk about that next week. But I believe it's a true story for two reasons. First of all, I look at what Jesus said, and I know he believed it to be a true story. So therefore, I don't have a choice. Of all the Old Testament figures that he could have talked about, of all the, the history and the historical men that he could have talked about and said, well, this is a sign to you. I could pull out this guy. I could pull out this guy. The, all these men are signs to you. He picks this story. Jesus knows. He was there. He's the creator of the universe. I believe Jesus to be the Old Testament God. I believe that he appeared in the Old Testament. I don't believe that Jesus' life started when he was born on this earth with Mary and Joseph. If he believed it, I believe it. Now, the other reason I believe this book to be true is that Jonah was a real guy. If you go to 2 Kings, and from 2 Kings we'll go to the book of Jonah, but 2 Kings fourteen twenty three, It says, in the 15th year of... Amaziah, and I'm going to thrash all these names, I'm just telling you up front. Son of Joash, king of Judah. Jeroboam, son of uh, Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. 
which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Leba Hamath to the Sea of Arba in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amadi, the prophet of Gath-Hether, or Hefer. Now, this is probably one of the most boring texts that I could have brought out to, that I'll probably ever read to you, unless we get to the book of Leviticus soon. And the Old Testament is really full of, of texts like this, and you're sitting there going, okay, oh, I'm glad I got through that one. But I, you know, I think God has these parts in there for a reason. Because of what it just did. It just validated to us that Jonah was actually a real living guy. He was a guy who really did live. He was a prophet of God. It even lists his dad's name and where they came from, Gath Heifer. And the town, you know, this town has been excavated. It's about three miles northwest of Nazareth, where 750 years later, a little boy would play. And that little boy would grow into the person called Jesus of Nazareth. So, since Jonah was a real prophet in Israel, and Jesus believed this story to be history, I don't think as a believer I can say, oh, it's just a legend. Oh, this couldn't have really happened. We don't have a choice in the matter. Jesus said it happened, and I'm not going to contradict Jesus. I'm not going to contradict the Word of God. Why would you not want to accept the story as fact? Well, if you accept it, then you have to deal with miracles. And as evangelical Christians, a lot of times I think we have a problem with miracles. We really do. We don't want to, to really think that they can happen. We, you know, in the Bible, all those are great miracles. But can they really happen? That means I have to have more faith than often I have. We have to believe in a God that's an act of God, who can touch lives, who can step into history, who can mess with his creation if he wants to, who can call a fish and do an abnormal thing that normally just would not happen in life. We don't really believe that our God is active as he could be. Because if he is active, then I have to respond to it. And that's a problem that I have sometimes. And if I have to respond, he may change my life. And I don't know if I want him changing my life. I mean, I want him changing my life, of course. But when it comes right down to it, I want to have my little bit of control over changing that life. Don't you? I think we're all in the same boat on that one. Sorry, I'm going to do this all through Jonah. I'm going to bring out little dry humor things. I just can't help it. Some of you will laugh and smile and nod, and others, it'll just glaze right over. But as I was studying this, it reminded me of a story. You know, a guy was out fishing, and he was just catching fish like you wouldn't believe. And no, this story actually didn't happen, but I you know, thought I'd tell it anyway. And another guy, you know, is watching. And he keeps catching these huge fish. And the guy's just like pulling it up, looking at it, and he just throws it back. And every so often he'd get a fish about that long, about eight inches. And he would keep it. And this guy's totally frustrated and finally goes to him and says, Why are you throwing away the big fish? The guy looks at him and says, Well, I only have an eight-inch pan. <laughs> Anything bigger than that he didn't have a use for. Well, this, you know, 
kind of like the story. If we don't have a use for, for God who's great enough to accomplish big miracles, we throw it back. What size is your pan? What size is your pan? Do we throw God and his spirit, do we throw his, him being active in our lives back into the ocean? Well, we better turn to Jonah if I don't get off of this. If you don't know where it's at, it's right after Obadiah, which is right before Micah. Or you can do like I always do. You open up the table of contents and find it and go, okay, it's page number whatever. It's four chapters. Only take us six months to get through. Well, no, okay, four weeks. But it's a really different kind of fish story. This is a, the big fish that, that doesn't get away, but neither does the man. It starts out in Jonah 1, 1. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't show you this picture in Kings where it was talking about Jeroboam. This is actually the altar of the area where Jeroboam literally brought, enticed Israel from going to Jerusalem and, and sacrificing in, in the temple. He goes, oh, well, you don't want to travel that far. Save some money, come do it here. And it was a sin that Jeroboam, he split the kingdom, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And, and you'll hear Jer, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and I always call him Jerry and Ray because it's easier to remember. But this is the actual site of where they would sacrifice to God in a sinful manner. Uh, so, we, you know, it does happen. But I just wanted to kind of show you that, that this is actual living history. Well, let's start out Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, some son of Amadi. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for, uh, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for, the, for that port. After paying paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, as I read this, I I forgot to include the map in on the uh, PowerPoint. But I want you to understand, Nineveh is 500 miles northeast of Israel where he's at right now. So it would be like going 500, from your direction, 500 miles this way. Well, where's Tarshish? It's about 2,000 miles this way. He's going the complete opposite direction than what God really wanted him to do. Because God called him to go that 500 miles northeast to northern Iraq. It's a modern city of Mosul today. It used to be called Nineveh, and it goes all the way back to Genesis, if you want to study more about that. It was founded by a guy named Nimrod. But instead of going there, he goes to the southeast, out of the town of Joppa. And here's a picture of Joppa, the coast of Joppa right there. Still a modern seaport in Israel, just south of Beirut, Lebanon. And there he headed 2,000 miles west to the southern you know, coast of Spain. This is like us going across the United, United States to, you know, God calls you to go to Hawaii, and where do you go? You go across to New York. Why you would do that, I don't know why. But this is kind of what he did. He went the opposite direction. It says here in verse, uh, well, verse 3, 
Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah is a minor prophet. And the reason why we call him a minor prophet, a little background here, is not because he's just a minor character. It's just that we don't know a lot about him. Isaiah is a major prophet. Daniel is a major prophet. We know a lot about those historical figures. But we don't know too much about what we call the minor prophets. There's like 12 or 13 of these guys. Uh, this book is, is different from many other uh, minor prophet books because there are usually little, very little about the man. But Jonah is the exact opposite. There's 48 verses, 1,320 words, and only one of the 48 verses is about Jonah's prophecy. Only one. And 47 verses is the story about that man. The only prophecy is in chapter 3, verse 4, eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The other 47 verses teach us about the process that Jonah was going through. His relationship with God's. God's response to, uh, you know, God's response to his disobedience and rebellion. The call of God in, in Jonah's life. He will witness the power of God in so many different ways. Both to rescue him and the city of Nineveh. And this is very personal for Jonah. Just it is, you know, our lives are very, very personal to us. Because we're experiencing God in a personal way. We go through rebellions. We go through experiencing God act in our lives and see it in others' lives. And we start to speak to God in the way that Jonah speaks to God. And I'm surprised that God lets us do this. He allows it. And I'm glad because I've speak to God that way too sometimes. But as I read this book, I totally relate to it. Now, in the other prophets, you'll see a, you know, hesitancy to, to go preach. You'll see Elijah, you know, he, you know after he sees the, the power of God, he, he's afraid of, of Queen, I think it's Jezebel, that, that wants to kill him. I mean, after he's seen totally power of God, you know, he calls down, you know, all the prophets of Baal, and God calls down the fire, and all those prophets couldn't get him to, to take up the, the offering. And then you got one guy that's sitting there going, okay, Lord, here's your offering. God sends down fire and just burns it all up after they dump the water. I mean, he's seen great miracles, but he's afraid of Jezebel. One woman. Or Isaiah. I can't, I, I can't go preach. I'm a man of unclean lips. Pick somebody more worthy. Or Moses. Where God calls him and he's like, send, send somebody else. I, I, I stutter. I can't speak. His reluctance is really based on his own inability. But Jonah is different. He doesn't even argue with God. He just runs. No way, I'm gone. Gath Heather, you know, the, 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 where, where he's from, they're going, hey, where'd the prophet go? He's just like up in the night, disappeared, he's gone. I mean, there's milk cartons going around, you know, have you seen this man with 800? Sorry. I mean, he's gone. He, he just, he doesn't tell anybody, he just leaves. So you have to ask the question, why? Why does he run? What happened in his life? to make him run. I mean, he had prophesied against King Jeroboam, and it came true. I mean, this king was powerful, and it came true. So the question is why? 
So as we begin the study, we're going to have to, you know, understand that, you know, the Assyrian nation. And we start to realize that, that you know, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians and, and they were the enemy of Israel. Now, Assyria was not the country that Jonah felt that he was called to minister to. His ministry was, was working well. And all of a sudden, God had to come and mess it up because his ministry, he was prophesying, it was coming true. I mean, he was held as a, as a great and wonderful prophet. They would take care of the prophets of Israel. Jonah was one of those guys. And all of a sudden, God messes with it. And his answer is, no, I can't do that. So he either thought, okay, this is not the voice of the Lord, or he thought, I don't care what God says here. There's only really two options on this one. And in chapter 4, we found out something he feared more than the Assyrians. And it did come true. And Jonah could not stand it. We'll, we'll save that for later. Now, the Assyrians were a brutal people. A hundred years before, and let's kind of understand maybe the psyche of what Jonah is going through here. A hundred years before this, the Assyrians were raiding Israel. They're the enemy of Israel. So his family was in one of the towns that were attacked by the Assyrians. They were so brutal that there are several accounts of entire cities literally committing suicide them to be taken by the Assyrians. It's amazing. They would capture a city and build a pyramid outside the city. So as you're traveling toward the city, you would go, oh, you know, they paid for some nice art out in front of the city. You know, tax them a little bit. No. You know what they were? The pyramid? The men of the city. They cut off their heads and stacked it outside the city and basically said, if you show up here, if you go up against us, if you cause any problem, this is what we're going to do to you. So don't even try. This is how brutal the Assyrians were. Don't mess with us. There were rumors that are written down um, in some of the different histories that are out there that the palaces of the Assyrians, the upholstery was made out of Hebrew skin. Now, I don't mean to be gross. I'm just trying to tell you, this goes to the psyche of Jonah. And God has said to Jonah, their evil has come before my eyes. Really? God, you, you just finally figured it out because that's how, what our reaction is. I could have told you stories here. And God says, now I want you to go and preach against them. Now, I don't know what was going through Jonah's head. And we don't really get into his head until the next chapter. But this would be very interesting because the Hebrew people aren't like tall, big, you know, six-foot men. I mean, usually they're, they're a little shorter. And over time, as they've intermingled, you know, uh, different things. But, but the, you know, Israelites aren't just big old strapping men. So you have this small Hebrew prophet going to Nineveh, and he's supposed to walk through the streets and say, the Hebrew God that I serve is going to destroy you. This would be like telling a Polish Jew born in, night, or, or in 1939, to go to Berlin and preach against Hitler and the Nazis. This just wouldn't happen. That would be very difficult. So Jonah takes off. Now the problem for Jonah is, God didn't ask him, you can either take this or not. God didn't say, I have a few options for you. God didn't say, well, out of this list of ten different things I would like to accomplish sometime during this time, during your reign here, pick and choose. God said, go and do this. So Jonah goes to, to Joppa. 
He's running away. And we see in the text that Jonah goes down and down and down, literally down. And he bottoms out in a very unusual spot. But Joppa is is the same place that Peter would be 750 years later. Remember Peter, he's going to the house of the tanner and he went up on the roof. And I think it's somewhere around Acts chapter 10. And he has this vision about ministering to Gentiles. And and the Jews didn't minister to Gentiles. And they were having a problem with with Paul going, hey, we need to go to minister to the whole world. And and, the Jews are like, no, it's, it's a Hebrew God. It's not a world God. And he has this vision, and God's saying, go talk to the Gentiles. Here you have Jonah, the same kind of concept here. Go talk to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the evil ones. The Gentiles are, are the ones that I want to rescue here. If they hear your prophecy, they will be saved. Jonah's not buying that. Do I go to my enemies or not? Now, by going in this direction, by running... We see that Jonah really believed that he could actually run away from God. Otherwise, why run? Right? Why not just plop down right there and go like a, you know, a two-year-old? No. Just stay right there. No, he ran. When somebody's running in disobedience from God, and they decide to go against God, they run the opposite direction, and usually they run very fast. See, his hope is that he can run far enough and fast enough where God can't reach him to speak to him or judge him. And Jonah is is like a little kid playing hide-and-seek. Have you ever done this with little nieces and nephews or your own, you know, kid? When they're little, what do they do? I'm hiding. They just cover their eyes right there in plain sight. This is the same as, as running from God. You can't see me, God. And as an adult, we, just, we kind of laugh and go, oh, that's cute. If they were 15 years old, we go, okay, that's just plain stupid. Right? Well, how do you think God feels sometimes? He's going, Alan, hello, do you think I cannot see you? Same for Jonah. He is running away from shelter. He's running away from protection. He's running away from God's guidance. And Jonah has also discovered something else that many of us already know. That if you want to run away from God, and you're willing to pay, and believe me, you pay in multiple ways. If you want to run and willing to pay, He will allow you to do it, and Satan will have a ship there waiting for you. It's fascinating to think that Jonah plays the same games that I do. You know the God's will game? Have you ever played this game? Do you know what I'm talking about? Lord, if it is your will, I'm going to go down to Joppa. And if it's your will, don't let me leave gath Don't let me leave this town. If it's your will, Lord, don't let a ship be down there. If I make it there, don't let a ship be down there. Or let it be sold out. Don't let, don't let me have enough money to buy the ticket. If it's, your, if it's your will, Lord, don't let me step on this boat. I'm going toward the dock, Lord. Hello, Lord. I'm going there. If it's your will, stop me. Lord, if it's your will, don't let the ship leave. Let it have a leak. Oh, it's leaving and I'm on the ship? Must be God's will. 
Well, God didn't stop him. So he probably thought he was getting away with it. Maybe Jehovah, the God of all creation, is more of a land God. You know, it's, it's almost like our, our cell phone reception. Well, if I can get out there, maybe, maybe God doesn't have reception out there. He's a Hebrew God. I'll go to Spain. Maybe he doesn't speak Spanish. I'm sorry. Verse 4. I know I need to stick with the scriptures. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell, asleep, uh, fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep, man? Get up and go call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. You can almost hear the stress in his voice. Go call on your God, man. We're, we're going down. I don't know if you, you, you watch uh, any of the shows on... Um, the Discovery Channel, you know, the fish in the, up in Alaska. I mean, there's some instances, you know, instances that these guys get into, and you're thinking, oh, man, that ship's going down. The alarm's going off. You don't sit there. An alarm's going off. Everybody gets out of the bunk. You know, they're filming the guys. They, they film them getting out really quickly. You don't stay in your bunk and go, ah, oh, the other guys will take care of it. Jonah is in his bunk in a sense. Now, the first thing I see is how cool God is. Because he could have said, Fine. You don't want to do it? I'll find somebody else that's more willing. So-and-so over there, I like them better anyway. (laughs) He also could have just sunk the boat. Fine, I'll sink it right there. I'll let everybody else go down with you. See, the cool thing is that God pursues Jonah completely here. And that's what the Lord has done to so many of us. We're going along serving the Lord, and all of a sudden, we're just, we're blindsided. We're hit. I mean, we're just spinning. We don't know what is going on. Either a crisis or something else, and we're like, I'm not serving anymore. And we see where God starts to track us down. And he waits for the right timing to draw us back. And when he does, sometimes it's not so gentle. I wish it was always gentle. Sometimes it's a huge storm. And sometimes it even causes us to doubt God even more. I'm in even more of a mess now. Forgetting that that we are the ones that walked to Joppa. We're the ones that paid for the fare. We're the ones that stepped on the boat. And now it's God's fault. Why is my life falling apart, God? And the storm just rages. And in the middle of the storm is the mercy And we just can't even tell it yet. This storm was a bad storm. These sailors are Phoenicians. They knew the sea. They practically lived out on the sea. They're not rookies. And they're totally, 100% afraid. Because they're afraid, they're they're polytheistic uh, uh, people. So they believe in multiple gods. And you can't worship all gods if you believe in all these different gods. So you pick your favorite two or three. And you're like, okay, what are your gods? Okay, you pray to them. Okay, what are your gods? You pray to them. And they're all praying their own God going, okay, one god is upset. We've got to figure this out. Well, Bel was the god of the sky. 
Somebody prayed a bell. Maybe the wind will stop. Neptune is, you know, or Poseidon was the god of the sea, you know, crying out to them. So they start throwing their cargo overboard. Their prophet. They start throwing what they were doing. What, I mean, they were selling for money. They just didn't like the ocean. I mean, they were doing this for money. They were throwing that completely overboard. Lighten the ship. We've got to take on less water. And while they're, they're grabbing all this cargo, they found Jonah sound asleep, which is really totally weird. I mean, if the sailors couldn't sleep that were Phoenicians that sailed the ocean all the time, how could this man be asleep? Have you ever been on the water during the storm? Man, once, and, and I'm running out of time, so I don't want to go too far into it, but once my dad and I were up in Canada and a storm whipped up over, we were on this huge lake and the storm whipped up on one side and we were on that side and we just weren't paying attention to the sky and we started trying to come across and it's like full bore out on the engine, you know, 15 minutes across the lake. Well, it took us 45 minutes because we had to go this way and go back that way so the waves wouldn't overtake us. Now, because I was up front, I wasn't too worried. I'm thinking, I trust my dad. He's been up here before. He's going to, you know, I was kind of naive. He's going to get us out of this. My dad, he's back there freaking out. I'm like, you know, up front, it's like, I'm holding on. I'm, it's like riding a bull. I'm from Texas. I understand that. My dad's back there. I mean, he's, you know, white knuckled, holding on to the side of the boat and holding on the engine, trying to get us across there. Storms are an amazing things. And this was a huge storm. It's not an easy thing to do to sleep in the storm. The captain's like, get up, pray to your God. And he goes on in verse 7, it says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on, uh, fell on Jonah. <laughs> Uh-oh. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What? do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the land. He just laid it all out. All your gods you've been praying for, this guy made it all. This is the true God. And they're thinking, okay, guys, we got the right God here. I worship and fear the Lord. That's what the Amplified Version says. I worship and fear the Lord. Yep, <laughs> you sure do at this point. Especially right now. You are so busted. You know, it's, it's one thing to be busted by your mom. You know, you're doing something wrong, or your dad, you're doing something wrong, and mom or dad bust you. But this, th- these are unbelievers busting you. What are you doing here? I thought you were a Christian. Man, ouch. What are you doing with your life? You follow God. He says, I'm a, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Okay, we've got this figure out. This guy has done something to upset God. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the, the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this, is great, that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 12 is a very scary thought. Just pick me up and throw me over. I've given completely up. Now, a couple of thoughts on this. Number one, 
Why couldn't he just jump overboard himself? He's involving these guys. Oh, just throw me overboard. He could have just run and jumped off. I mean, come on. Why put it on them? Why didn't he just just repent? Why have them do his dirty work? Guys, why didn't he say, guys, just turn around and the storm will cease. Take me back to port. I'm sure, you know what? Because we read the story and we know the end of the story, I'm sure God had enough grace. If Jonah would have done that, he would have calmed the seas right there. God has brought the storm. And until Jonah does what he's called to do, it will not stop until he obeys. Either the storm is going to kill him or he's going to obey. And we talk so much about God being a a gentle and loving God. And the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I want you to understand that. It's the same God. And we always talk, God is so loving. You know, God is love. And we all go toward that. And that, that is so true. Don't get me wrong here. Grace, mercy, and all that. But guess what? Sometimes discipline, discipline doesn't come across as so loving. As a, as a child, I hated it when my dad disciplined me. As an adult, I look back and go, I'm glad he disciplined me. Most of the time, I deserved it. There's a couple times, but most of the time, I deserved it. There's times when God throws up roadblocks. And he just goes, I've had enough with you, Alan. I love you too much to allow you to continue, continue to rebel. Already rebel. Therefore, your life is going to be miserable until you change. But Jonah would rather die than repent. He's still not going to Nineveh. He's going, throw me overboard. Better for all of us. Now, automatically, we want to apply this to our enemies in our life. If they would just, if they would just repent, if they would just turn, if they would just... But this story is not about our enemy. This story is about us. This story is not about Jonah's enemy. Who's Jonah's enemy? The Ninevites. What they've done to my people? This story is about us. It's about Jonah. They deserve this, not the prophet in Jonah's eyes. The only problem is, Jonah already knows God. The prophet knows God, and he's going against God. Verse 13, it says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. And you've got to hand it to these guys. They cared enough to try. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Uh, For you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. This is the first observable miracle these guys ever saw. Several miracles have already happened. This is the first one that they actually got to experience. And this is how it is. Most of the time, miracles happen, and we don't even see them at all. It says, verse 16, At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Their assumption is this. God is angry. God causes storm. Problem thrown overboard. Man is sacrificed. Problem solved. That's what their view was. But Jonah knew something. He knew that God would not make them pay for his sin. Why? He knew God. What these guys didn't know is that God's grace was also there for Jonah. 
that God was rescuing Jonah and them at the same time. Verse 17, it says, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Well, as far as the text goes, that's really where I want to stop. But I want to say a few things in closing. I think one question that comes to my mind as I think about all this is, how active do I really believe that God is in my life? Do I really believe in a God that sees me? Or are there places that I can go and hide from God? Do I really believe that God is interested in my actions? And that God told me to do some things that I'm not doing? Or do I just think that the Old Testament story is just that, an Old Testament story and doesn't apply to me? The other question I would ask is, for anyone in this room, that's really kind of, you feel yourself like you're running from God. And whatever the reason is that you're using for that, you know that you're currently running. Whether you're in the boat with the covers pulled up over your head, oh, the storm, will, it'll just pass, it'll just go away. I'll just stay in bed, hoping it'll go away. Or whether you're saying, hey, just throw me overboard, I don't care anymore. I'm just not going to obey God. I don't like what he told me to do. I guess my question would be for that person, what price have you paid and are you still willing to pay for choosing disobedience? That's a hard one. Because everyone who chooses to disobey pays a price. What price are you paying now? What price will you pay for your disobedience? And I guess the last question that comes to my mind is, how many other people are in the middle of your storm that are going through hardship because it's your storm? These guys were in Jonah's storm. Jonah wasn't happening to be out on the ocean when a storm came up. No. He brought the storm with him. It has nothing to do with innocent sailors. Yet for some reason, they're there with him. How come? Why do innocent people have to go through your storm with you? When will you face God and say, God, I am running from you, and I have my reasons, but God, I am running from you. And God says, I know you have reasons, but I want you to quit running from me because I want you to be and do something else than what you have been being and what you have been doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that the application of this would just strike our hearts, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. That there may be those that are here running from you. You've asked them to do something and they've refused to do it. And a storm has erupted in their life. I pray, Lord, that they recognize the storm and recognize the issues that are there and turn back to you, not give up like Jonah. You're a gracious and wonderful God. You don't give up on us. You chase us down, and we thank you for chasing us down. And we pray that you're gentle with us in our disobedience. And we pray, Lord, as we study this this story about Jonah and and, and being swallowed by the fish, Lord, that we really do apply this to our lives. As we can apply your word in any situation in our life. 
We pray that you allow your spirit to to help us with that application. And Lord, I, I know you're so loving. You have open arms. You have open arms for us when we come running back to you. And I pray, Lord, that, that we do run back to you and not have to go through another storm for you to show us that you're in charge. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his eyes never turn from you during the storm. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.